the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. We are glad you're with us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Bruce Hooley, Josh Pick with you. We are going to talk about your money, managing your money, growing your money, and building wealth, preserving wealth here on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Glad to have you along, and you can always submit your questions. You can do that via email, bruce at salemmedia.com, bruce at salemmedia.com. Just address it to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. So, Josh, welcome in, and let's first talk about the latest developments in economic news. We have a jobs report that exceeds by <laughs> three times the amount of jobs the White House expected. Um, half a million jobs, so that's good, I guess. I see some possible reasons behind that, but what did you think when we heard that we added a half a million jobs in the month of July? Well, obviously, that's good news. Yeah. I mean, it's good news for the people that have the jobs. It's good news for the economy. It's good news for people paying taxes. It's good news for everything. Um, whether or not that's sustainable or whether or not that's a manipulation of the way that we calculate the jobs report, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, speculation, trepidation, maybe some uh, people who feel like they can't necessarily trust what those numbers are and where they're coming from. Uh, but from my perspective, the big question, you know, as an investor is what will the market think about the jobs report? Um, and what will that mean in the long run? And will those jobs be sticky? So I, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic about the, the information. Yeah, I'm obviously glad that people have jobs. I guess what I wonder is the jobs report, I believe, does not count those people who've been out of the workforce two years or more. The unemployment numbers, I should say, don't count people who've been out of the workforce two years or more. Well, if you count back two years, what was going on? It was the summer of the pandemic, and a lot of people were forced out of the job market Maybe they hadn't returned to the job market because they got stimulus checks, they got checks for the number of children that they had or whatever, and now they're two years from that time and they have to return to the job market. That's one thing I wondered about. And then I also wondered about how many of those jobs are not one job, pay my bill jobs, save for retirement jobs, but how many of those jobs are second jobs in restaurants or with you know whatever to help you pay the bills that you're having trouble paying in a 40-year inflationary period? Yeah, the sur survive, not thrive job. Correct. Right? Uh, and, and I don't know that we'll ever really know. You know, as the pandemic has hit and we've started to see the way the jobs reports come out, it certainly seems like it's tactfully worded in the way that's released. You know, what is somebody who's unemployed, for example? I feel like that's debated almost as much as what's a recession is today. Mm -hmm. you know, who's unemployed versus electedly unemployed versus underemployed? Um, so, again, I, I just view this information with cautious uh, optimism. I hope it's a good thing. 
Get a hold of Josh and his team at Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040. Their website is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. We do the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show Friday nights and Saturday afternoons. And they would love to hear from you so they can help you manage your wealth, understand the markets, understand how money multiplies so that you are bulletproof for retirement and you can afford all the things that you have to afford. And there may be things you need to afford that you're not even aware of. We've talked about some of those things on the show and we'll continue to do that as we progress. So tomorrow we are supposedly going to get uh, Democratic support for the bill that Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer agreed to last week that now Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema has signed on to, which will spend somewhere around $400 billion on green jobs, about three-quarters of a billion dollars total. I don't know if it's actual spending or if it's tax incentives or if it's this or that or whatever, but there's a thought out there that this is going to be great, reduce inflation. They're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. And then there are those more supply-side-oriented Republicans who say, no, when you tax corporations, this is not going to be good. Give me your kind of 40,000-foot view of this and what you see in the bill and what you're concerned, maybe things that you're watching as this goes through and becomes law. Yeah, I think it affects the budget. There's no question about that. Um, And anytime you create jobs, that's a good thing. I, I hesitate to use the word create because I don't believe that the government actually creates jobs. It creates headwinds and tailwinds. That said, um, you know, you throw $400 billion into the economy one way or the other, that's going to be good for the economy. Whether or not that curbs inflation, I would say that I'm uh, very pessimistic as to whether or not that is going to curb inflation. Uh, I, I think, I can't remember the person who said it, but saying that you can spend your way to prosperity is similar to standing in a bucket and trying to pick it up by the handle. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. So I don't believe we're going to spend our way out of the inflationary environment. You'll hear words like, well, we're investing in our future. And I'm certainly not going to say that we shouldn't invest in our future, but I would say that the government has proven to me that it may not be the best steward of our money and putting it uh, with really strong tracking measures at its success rate down the line. Well, I think it's interesting you mentioned that phrase that we hear a lot. Uh, The Trump administration said it, the Biden administration said it, the Obama administration said it, the government has created X number of jobs. And I agree with you that the government does not create jobs. They can put mechanisms in place for private industry to hire people. But even on something like the infrastructure bill, that's going to be, let's assume it's really what it says it is, roads and bridges. Those are real people who work for companies that build roads and bridges. Like there's not a government bridge company. So I find it true that your statement, the government doesn't create jobs. I think people need to be hearing the right thing when a politician of either party says that. I mean, you know, if you look at the government, the government is funded by tax dollars. So to say that they create a job, what they're really saying is they're taking tax dollars from someone else who has a real private industry job and using it to fund a new job for somebody who doesn't create any sort of new wealth. I think we had mentioned even last week that, you know, a lot of people hate Jeff Bezos because you know, he's worth $200 billion or whatever the number is today. But the company's worth a trillion, which means that he's created $800 billion worth of wealth, jobs, et cetera, taxes for uh, other people. And similarly, while the government can create an environment through low taxation or tax breaks, not tax boosts, 
to allow corporations to grow, expand, and hire new people. They cannot in and of themselves create jobs. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you. It's the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Aptus Wealth Management located in Lewis Center, 614-917-1040. Their web address, aptus, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You get a free consultation to understand how you work toward a purposeful retirement that will keep you from getting the nasty surprise that no one wants to get when they reach retirement age and hopefully have enough money there to take care of their needs and some of their wants as well in retirement. And toward that end, Josh, I'm sure that because you offer a free consultation, you're meeting with people all the time, as are other people who do what you do, and there is a feeling out process, a getting to know process, and maybe from the approach of the potential client toward the asset manager, an interview process. So take me through that process for education purposes of those who understand their need for someone, a professional, to help them grow their wealth. What are some of the things that they should be talking about, looking for, and asking in those conversations? Yeah, well, altruistically, I'd like to say that everybody should just work with us. But the reality is we're not going to be right for everybody. But it does not mean that there aren't certain staple things that I would ask everybody before I select them as an investment advisor. And step one would be, are you a fiduciary? There are two ways to operate in this business. Way number one is I work on commissions. And I'm not begrudging anybody who works on commissions. It's been like that for a really long time. But I've been told since I was a kid that well-built fences make for great neighbors. Hmm. And uh, while uh, there are people that operate in the commission space that are great, uh, have your best interests in mind, it does afford them the opportunity to go out of the bounds a little bit. And let me give you an example. If I'm paid commissions and one product pays 6% and the other pays 5 how do you really know that they have your best interests in mind or maybe they're not just shifting to get to 6%? But a fiduciary has to pay get, be paid a levelized amount. So at least you know that the advice is non-biased because it has to be. Um, number two is a pretty easy one. Uh, I would suggest that everybody look up their advisor online via Google search and look them up on the SEC or FINRA websites. The easiest way to do that is just Google broker check and you'll be able to look up every financial advisor and find out their history, how long they've been licensed, what licenses they have, have they had any complaints. I think that's a far better place to look than say a, uh, you know, a Kelly, uh, not a Kelly Blue Book, but a Better Business Bureau, excuse mm-hmm. me. I um, mean, the reason for it is because if there has been any uh, wrongdoing, I assure you the SEC has looked into it and will give you all of the details of it. And you'd also be surprised how there might be some people in your area who are viewed as very well respected that maybe have quite the rap sheet. So take a peek at that. And then, you know, beyond the obvious things like, well, does this person seem like they know what they're talking about? Do they convey things to me in an easily understandable way? Um, Do I feel comfortable with them? I would find out uh, what they really specialize in. Um, And that's not to say that there aren't jack-of-all-trades folks out there that do a good job that might be a good fit for you. But to the same token, just like everything in life, you can't know everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So in our office, we focus pretty much exclusively on retirement planning and wealth transfer. If you want to know the best way to save for college, we might not be the right outfit for you. If you want to know what's the best way to get out of credit card debt, shy of the obvious things, uh, we don't have the tools available to pull your credit report, et cetera. But when it comes to retirement income planning and wealth transfer, that's really where we focus. So similarly, 
I would ask where the person focuses and make sure that your goals are aligned. Well, those all seem like great uh, suggestions to me and what you say about understanding um, maybe human nature a little bit. I remember back when I was trying to buy a house, I'd uh, call my realtor and I missed a couple houses because he couldn't get to me for an appointment. And I finally figured out that's not necessarily any bad reflection on him. If he can sell a home to someone for a million dollars and he gets a 3% commission, or he can sell a home that I could afford for $200,000 and he gets a 3% commission, I don't really blame him for going with the other client at that particular time. So you guys have all made choices in terms of what you want to prioritize in terms of your investment focus. How did you make those choices? What is it that fascinates you about retirement planning? And how did you get into doing this? And I can tell that it energizes you and you really take a lot of pride in it and a lot of interest in it because I'm sure there's a ton of ongoing continuing education with it and staying atop the latest trends. Yeah, I was kind of thrown into it. Um, and I don't know that I've ever told this story before, but when I was 13, my father died. And uh, much like many families, I would guess back in the 80s, uh, dad took care of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, mom didn't know how to balance a checkbook. Uh, mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, and then, you know, unexpected cancer bout and passed away. And then what I got to see is, one, watching somebody try and take over that responsibility, but two, trying to figure out and rely upon people that you may have thought were neighbors, friends, et cetera, who are going to help you with your investments. Uh, So there were some people that were kind of in our circle that were in the financial planning space that uh, came in to help. And I would say, without throwing any of them under the bus, they provided less than stellar advice. Um, And if you can imagine you know, the impact of even a small rate of return difference over 30, 40 years, Mm -hmm. those less than stellar pieces of advice can make long-term terrible impact. So uh, couple that with the fact that I guess I just have a natural acumen for math and maybe not uh, writing, and it all kind of worked out to to play out the way that it did. But the reason I'm passionate about it and kind of who we take on as clients, a lot of people will call and say, what's your minimum? And while every company has to have some kind of minimum, um, the one benefit of owning the company is I get to decide who I take and why. Sure. Um, and my objective is is both uh, helping people, but also being able to help the people that I believe need the most help and uh, would be great clients. So, you know, I still take that piece of when I was, you know, 13 years old and watching my mom struggle and we were by no means wealthy and uh, providing good advice to people who maybe don't have $5 million. And we certainly have those clients as well. So, again, Aptus Wealth Management is easy to get a hold of, 614-917-1040. Their web address is aptus.com. Get with Josh and his team. The consultation is free. You'll learn a lot. You'll get to know each other, and you'll gain the same sense that I do, that this is someone who cares deeply about getting you to retirement so that you have that peace of mind that all of us seek. So for someone out there who is hearing the show for the first time and they realize, man, I've put this off and... I've maybe have put it off too long and it's too late for me to come in. I'm 60 years old and I've done some 401k stuff and I necessarily haven't paid the closest of attention to it. And I've tried this here, maybe bought a stocker here or there. That wasn't for me. Uh, They're of the opinion that they missed their timing. Is there anything to the fact that somebody could miss the time to do that if they're age 60 and retirement is a lot closer than it is for someone who's 40? Well, in life, time's our biggest asset, period. Uh, what is it? Uh, um, 
The Dalai Lama said, you know, man's the weirdest uh, animal alive because he spends the first half of his life sacrificing his health for money and then the second half trying to buy back his health with his money. <laughs> um, so obviously we know that time is our biggest asset and, and missing the mark, you know, it hurts. I'm not going to candy coat it. it. It certainly plays a part, but that would be akin saying that it's over with or that there's no chance to improve your situation would be no different than saying there's no point in ever going to the gym or ever eating healthy because I haven't up to this point. Mm -hmm. Improvements are always good and it's never too late. You might be behind, but the race is not over and the best time to act is now. Uh, and make improvements. How do you balance that person who comes in at age 60 who hasn't done in the past what they needed to do with what I know is the typical approach of people as they get closer to retirement to get more conservative? The person who's coming to you at age 60 really needs to get aggressive results, which entails most times more chance, more risk, uh, but you also have to balance that against the fact that if they come in and they're already behind, you know, more risk oftentimes means that they might have to go backward a little bit before they go forward and they don't have the time to go backward. Yeah, well, I think the first thing is, uh, you know, we, we say in my office all the time that we want to empower people through education or motivation through education. So step number one is let's actually identify if there is, in fact, a problem and let's understand what the real problem is. We can't solve the problem unless we know what the problem is. And a lot of times what I find when people come in is they say, well, I've waited this long, I've only done this, and they, they kind of have this ideology of throwing their hands up in the air. There's no point, I don't, and they're scared of the monster under the bed rather than the one that they can actually see because they've never actually seen it. Mm -hmm. um, so the first step is, what is the actual problem? And then let's figure out a plan towards the problem. Now, the balancing act that you're talking about of really how much risk is somebody willing to take or how much do they need to take, how much volatility they're willing to accept is kind of a case-by-case uh, basis because some people are very comfortable with that. I understand that over the next five or 10 years, I might go from a hundred thousand down to 50 to get back to 200. And I've have a proven track record of being willing to tolerate that other people that would just solve their retirement plan because they would die of a heart attack early. <laughs> so they wouldn't have to worry about their money. So it's certainly an individual, uh, case by case basis, but the person who doesn't want to take any risk has to also understand that they may need to save a little bit more. So the discipline might need to be stronger. But it's it's individual. Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040. Also online, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So if I'm correct, there's a goal. People want to get to retirement, and they want to have their future provided for. So it would seem like people could look at that and say, well, then everybody has the same goal. But there might be goals within that goal in that finding the right mix for their investments, finding that secret sauce you might have different priorities based upon, I don't know, personality or other things besides just age and what kind of nest egg you come in with. Yeah, or giving or what do you want to pass to your kids or what's your family history of longevity or what's your health history? There's a, there's a myriad of factors, yeah, and it's completely individualized to that person. The benefit to somebody who actually does what I would deem to be real financial planning is looking at those things and taking into account and developing a real plan. What I oftentimes see is investment advisors saying, well, we do financial planning. What they really do is asset gathering and investments. And again, I'm not, I'm not faulting them for that. But what we're saying is here's our end goal. Let's acquire said uh, assets under management so we can make a fee off of it. And let's just all roads lead to end goal. When in reality, the end goal might be 
you should take that inheritance you just got and pay your house off with it because that's a better cash flow decision for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important that you work with somebody who b- you believe will actually do that and has a fiduciary responsibility to also tell you to do it. You know, when we were talking about how people select an advisor in this kind of a situation, um, there may be people who, or let me just ask it this way, is it prudent to prioritize having your advisor be someone that you can drive and see personally or now with our electronic advancements and certainly what we learned in the aftermath or in the midst of the pandemic was that you can talk to anybody anywhere via Zoom or any other you know innumerable number of uh, online options out there. Do you find that that's less of a situation now that people are insisting upon the ability to have that personal one-on-one contact? Yeah, I would say COVID changed the game on that a lot. Uh, if you rewind the clock pre-COVID, uh, so this would be you know 2019, I might have had 10% of my clients that dealt with me exclusively via telephone and conference calls, Zoom-type meetings. Back then, I think it was WebEx. It wasn't even Zoom yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then fast forward to today, and I would say that probably 50% of my client interactions are via Zoom. And I have several clients, dozens, maybe over 50 clients that we've taken on over the last couple of years that I've never met other than via Zoom. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's very, very common. And people are also transient. You know, COVID did something else. We don't need to stay where we are right now to work because we can live wherever we want. We telecommute. So I've had a tremendous amount of clients that have moved around the country and they're still clients. I'm sure that you encounter clients who have different investing philosophies. Uh, Is it important that a client's investing philosophy matches the investing philosophy of their asset manager? Or is it inaccurate to say that asset managers have different investing philosophies? I think it's important, and I may be going against the grain here, but here's why it's important. Um, Let's say, for example, and this is a new thing, uh, socially responsible or biblically responsible Mm -hmm. investing or whatever we're calling it. Yeah. Um, You know, I don't want to invest in companies that range from uh, that invest in things like abortion to firearms to tobacco to China Mm -hmm. pick your poison, whatever the I think you have to be with an advisor that's willing to accommodate that if that's something that you're really passionate about. Secondly, um, from the advisor's perspective. So from my perspective, if I'm working with a client and I believe that they're making really foolish decisions and those decisions end up being as foolish as I thought. Oftentimes, people have a very fuzzy memory as to who recommended said decision, and that can be a huge litigious risk for us. So while I don't need to agree with everything that you're doing, we have to have some sort of semblance of logical pattern on who's doing what, when, and we have to document that to make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Aptus Wealth Management, folks, is reachable very easily. 614-917-1040, their web address aptuswealth.com. You can set up your free consultation via phone or via the web. Get with Josh and his team. Understand what your money is doing for you. Hopefully it is doing something for you. And if uh, it is not, or if you'd like to have more peace of mind, well, a great way to do that is to get with Josh and his team and understand why you're doing what you're doing or what you should be doing instead of what you're doing right now. So, Do you have an asset allocation that you like based upon client's age, or how do you determine asset allocation for a potential customer who wants to come in and become a client? Yeah, it's a whole lot of questions. So it's based upon age, it's based upon goals, it's based upon historical appetite for volatility, and we use volatility as opposed to risk 
because risk is relative to time and volatility is really what we're talking about. When people say, I don't want to be too risky, what they're really saying is I don't want to lose 30% of my money next year, Mm -hmm. which means volatility. Uh, Very few, uh, I mean, point to any 20-year time period where you put any money in the S&P 500 and you didn't have more than when you started with 20 years ago, but there are some bumps in that road. So certain people fall into different categories, whether that's, you know, kind of the general rule of thumb, like conservative, moderate, or growth-oriented portfolios. Um, The other thing is their income needs. Uh, What income do they need? Because we have to figure out a portfolio that will also drive that income and go to growth. So somebody who is younger and maybe a growth-oriented investor by Mm -hmm. is in one portfolio, but somebody who is retired but still wants to maintain that growth-oriented stance cannot have the same allocation unless they have a tremendous amount of money versus the amount that they need. They have to have something that's driving income. Very interesting. There are just so many options out there and so many different directions to go. And, you know, I've had on my mind retiring for all of my adult working life, and I think most people have as well. But uh, have I always made good decisions? No. I think we're all hoping for that one big score, turning, you know, a stock that doesn't cost us very much into a stock that makes us rich beyond our wildest belief. That's probably not realistic. But the Aptus Retirement Blueprint team does not take an emotional approach to investing. They take a purposeful approach to investing, a planned approach to investing. And that is prudent for those of us who are nearing retirement age. So you can reach Aptus Wealth Management at 614-917-1040. They're on the web at aptuswealth.com. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. They're located in Lewis Center, the 23270 area. You can get a hold of them for a free consultation at 614-917-1040. Their web address, an easy way for you to set up your free consultation, is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. All right, Josh, the goal is to have your clients arrive at retirement and have a nest egg that they will have there for them to sustain them through the rest of their life. But when they get to retirement age, it's not like that money is buried in the yard or put under a mattress. That money continues to be invested and good things can happen or bad things can happen. And so I'd like to talk about a concept that uh, I've heard the term, but I don't really know what it is called sequence of returns. What is sequence of returns and why should people be interested in it and understand it? I think sequence of returns, well, first, it's just what it says. It's the order in which you receive your returns. So, for example, let's say that you had five rates of return that just kind of repetitiously happened over time. Um, You know, one person might get 10% the first year and one person might get 10% the last year. And one person might get negative five the second year and one might get negative five, the second to the last year repetitiously over time. And I'll give you some examples on that. 
But before we do that, I think it's important to note that sequence of return risk, I believe, is one of the largest factors facing retirees to the potential negative. So we hear a lot about what about inflation risk? What about uh, you know the fact that rates are going up? What about market volatility? What about all these things? But nobody seems to talk about sequence of return risk. And for due cause, it's not an issue while you're working and saving. It is only an issue when you actually need the money. So what it is, and I'll give you, it's very difficult to do uh, over the radio without a visual, but I'll give you an example of two people who put a million dollars into an account. They leave it alone for 25 years. And in that 25-year period, if they looked at their mutual fund statement at the end of 25 years, they picked their head up, they would have both averaged a 7% rate of return. Okay. So the math works out this way. You put in a million bucks, everybody's got 5.4 million roughly, and everybody's happy. They got there in two drastically different ways. Client number one got five rates of return, and client number two got the same five rates of return, but turned on their head. And as you can imagine, we're talking about the stock market, so there's a couple of negative years in there. That can happen. There's a great piece put out. If you call my office, we'll get you the piece so you can see this visually, and it'll be a huge help. But hopefully everybody can stick with me here. Yeah, so, I mean, what we're talking about is exactly what the term implies, sequence of returns. It's the rate of return you get per year. Because a lot of times when people have these conversations, they say, I averaged X per year. Well, you don't, you average it, but you don't get it every year. Like you don't get 7% every year. You might average it over a 5, 10, 15, 20 year period. And this is kind of the nuance of the difference between when you get your return and in what order you get your return. Am I correct? That's absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, a question I ask a lot of folks when they come into the office is, uh, you're retired now, you have two choices. Would you like a 6% average annual rate of return or a 12% over the next 20 years? And Let me everybody, guess what they pick. Everybody picks 12, right? Which makes sense, but the real answer is, I don't have enough info to give you an answer. Because in that 12% example, you may end up losing 50% for the first 10 years which doesn't matter if you don't need the money for 20 years. But if you need the money in the first 10, you might bleed that pot completely dry before the big returns end up happening. So this concept is, if you look at the market today, we're coming off of one of the longest bull runs in the history of the market. Sure, we're having a rough year so far, but historically speaking, we're arguing about a recession, but we really haven't had a significantly tumultuous market. I mean, the market's down 15, 20%, depending upon the day. Um, that, that isn't a depression or recession. It's not 0809. It's not 2001, 2002. But I think we would all agree that there's as much downward pressure on the market today as there is upward. So as we're looking at this sequence of return risk, we could be one of two clients. I retire with a million bucks. I know I need 60. I earn 20% this year. I'm up to a million too. I take out 60. Big deal. Or I retire with a million. I come out. I lose 20%. I have 800. I take out 60. I'm at 730 or 740, can I ever recover? Wow. So the, the, the real issue is how do you handle it? Sure. Right? It's, it's a problem. And you'll notice, too, as an aside, uh, probably, Bruce, you'll remember this. If we were to rewind the clock back 20, 30 years ago, they said you could take, they, you know, the Academy of Smart People, said yes. you could take out 6% per year for the rest of your life, you'd be fine. And then it went to 5 And then, you know, the Wall Street Journal came out and said the death of the 4%. And a lot of clients are coming to me going, I've been told I'm only allowed to take out 3%. 
well, if I live for 33 years and I don't invest it at all, I still have money left. So why can I only take out 3% with you if you guys are so darn awful smart? Yeah. And the real answer is the companies that put out these numbers want you to remain invested in their investments so they can make a management fee. And they cannot determine what the volatility will be, which is why they gradually tear back your risk. But there are other options to, ha- to handle this. And, and option number one is, well, we want to come up with as little volatility as possible. But we can't do that across the board. So let's just say theoretically that I have a million-dollar account that's invested 50-50 stocks and bonds. I call the company and say, I'd like to take out 50 grand. Just send me the money. They're probably going to take it proportionally across the board. You would think so, yeah. Is that the smartest move? I don't know. What are current economic conditions? I feel like it's a trick question. I feel like it's one of those things where I should say I don't have enough information yet. Oh, that's exactly right. The question is, you know, if the market is way up, it may make sense to take it from the equity pot and leave the other stuff alone. But in general, you probably want to have some safe money that's predictable with less volatility than I'm living off of for a period of time while I leave the other more volatile assets alone. The insurance industry back in the day used to they used to have this concept called the split annuity, which is basically a bucketed approach. I'm going to take uh, an immediate annuity that pays me a guaranteed income for five or ten years, and I'm going to defer another one out for ten years, and then I'm going to replace the first one. Well, you can do the same thing in the stock market. I'm going to have growth-oriented assets, not as aggressive growth-oriented assets. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have maybe things all the way down to cash, but I'm going to have these multi-leveled uh, buckets that I can draw from at appropriate times. You can then create predictive results while still investing in the market and offsetting inflation. But most don't do that. And I don't fault most because up until pretty recent times, really, most people had a pension. Most people had Social Security. And this was a supplement to those two things. It wasn't the predominant. And now it's the predominant, so you got to take it seriously. Aptus Wealth Management, located in Lewis Center, 614-917-1040. I know this might be blowing your mind because you thought the whole game was get to retirement with a certain nest egg. And then that first example that Josh gave you where you went, whoa, in one instance, I have a million two after year one. And in another instance, I'm down to 780. That got my attention. I bet it got yours. It's a great reason to get with the team at Aptus Wealth for your free consultation. So you can understand not just the necessity of planning for retirement, not just executing that plan, but being protected from, aware of, and knowing how to handle things like sequence of returns 614-917-1040 their web address is aptuswealth aptus aptuswealth.com yeah that seriously does scare me like that first year you can get there and you talked about their rate of return over time is going to be the same but in year one you've lost one-fifth of your nest egg or you timed it right and boom now you're you know sitting what appears to be really great with two hundred thousand more than you had when you started yeah, what is it Mike Tyson said? I know you're a sports guy. He said uh, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. Well, I'd hopefully, be, I'd be punched in the face by that bad return. Yeah, hopefully you don't get punched in the face right after the bell rings in the first round, right? So how do you guys plan for that, guard against that, and protect people from that? Because I know that's what you're all about. Yeah, well, one, you need to do that laddering type approach. So we certainly do that. And that's why, if, if you recall back um, earlier today, we talked about everybody's plans a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And a true investment allocation should be large in part based upon the income needs of that particular client. For example, if you have somebody that's got $30 million and they're living on $30,000 a year, they don't really have to worry about 
asset allocation. They can stomach all the risk that you want and all the volatility. It doesn't matter. But if you have a client that needs to live on 4 or 5% of what they have, they better have allocations accordingly that will drive that income with as little volatility as possible. And that can be a combination of a lot of things. But in general, how we limit volatility is, let's take a step back and say, how do people manage money? Way number one is the stagnant approach. Let's call this the Vanguard approach. You buy the S&P 500, you buy the Lehman Brothers, Brothers Aggregate bond index, bond index, maybe a couple things in the middle. It's a stagnant allocation. Leave it alone. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Low cost is the benefit. The detriment is you got the same thing that everybody else has, mm-hmm. right? And it also ignores things like trends. Like, for example, is being in the Lehman Brothers Aggregate Bond Index in a rising interest rate environment after a 40-year bull run in bonds uh, where inflation is taken away from us the best place to be? I would argue probably not. You probably want to limit the maturity on your bonds a lot. Without deeping, you know, deep diving down that rabbit hole, I think what you really need to have is an allocation that makes sense from a risk perspective, but then don't ignore the simple realities of economic conditions by doing things like maybe we should be a little bit more growth versus value oriented, or maybe we should be a little less international in our exposure because of world events, or maybe we should shorten our durations. So what we do is not market timing, it's not day trading, it is tactical in our approach with subtle changes that can make a big difference in the overall volatility of investment. See, this is really interesting to me because just by way of analogy, I've kind of looked at retirement as, let's just say it's a game, um, like a sports game. It has a, it has a clock. The clock is going to run out at some point in time. And I now know from talking to you about sequence of returns that I've presumed incorrectly when the game ends, that the game really doesn't end with your nest egg amount when you get to retirement. The clock is still running as you're in retirement, and you can still make money off your investments while you're in retirement, which seems pretty self-evident. I don't know why I didn't put that together, but... Along with that, I've had this notion that as you work toward retirement, you take or um, accommodate more risk. When you get to retirement, you're much more risk averse, and maybe you shouldn't be in the market at all. But I mean, if you're going to retire at 65 and you're going to live till you're 85, you got 20 years, and 20 years is a pretty good term to trust the market. Well, and using that same analogy of sports, if you've ever watched a basketball game, you know, the first half isn't nearly as intense or as important as the second half. And similarly with, similarly with investing, um, you want your best players to have the ball when it matters mm-hmm. the most. Um, you certainly would like to be ahead heading into the second half, and you'd certainly like to have a bigger lead as you're ending, entering into the last two minutes. Well, similarly with investing, you know, the more ahead you are, the easier it is, the better it is. But things start becoming more and more important, actually. The game is not over when you reach retirement. It becomes arguably even more difficult from a money management perspective. But if you do the things you're supposed to, it can also be incredibly relaxing and in that you know that you have the right things in place. And there's nothing worse than having somebody come in who's retired, they have the right amount of money, and they're still terrified. Mm. And they're terrified because they don't know if they're doing the right things, they don't have the right education. They don't, they're basing all of this on maybe so they read something on the internet yeah. and they're just guessing. That's a terrible position to be in. 
So if nothing else, it's worth the education to know that you're on the right track and you have a good plan. And that's one of the things they specialize in at Aptus Wealth Management is just the relationship between your manager and you so that you understand them. And a big part of that is the trust that you'll gain. Trust equals peace of mind. Peace of mind is a great thing when it comes to retirement. And executing that plan, understanding that plan are all pieces of the puzzle at Aptus Wealth Management. You can set up your free consultation, get to know Josh and the team at 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. Easy to get to, located in Lewis Center. On the web, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Is there a period of time that you find you establish the kind of trust you're looking for? And is that related to the level of risk a client is willing to accommodate? Somebody who's very open to accommodating risk may trust you more. I'm just kind of guessing here. As somebody who's highly resistant to risk, you may have to be with them, talk them off the ledge, explain things more to them. Is there any correlation between how long it takes you to build trust with a client and the level of risk they're willing to accommodate? You know, I've never had that question asked before. That's interesting. Um, I would say no, there is no correlation, though, actually. I think certain people are are more willing to accept risk, and certain people are more willing to accept advice and be willing to offer trust. That said, I think trust is critical. And I think if you don't earn it and it doesn't ever show up, then it's probably not a very good relationship, whether that's in Mm -hmm. the financial world or anywhere else. Um, And and fortunately, when uh, I would say that um, outcomes push back to trust, so if you tell some somebody something is going to occur and it actually occurs, mm-hmm. there's block number one in the actual trust. Yep. And our objective being kind of the, the segment of the market that we're in, while you cannot control everything and you cannot remove all risk, you can create more predictable results. And that in and of itself, I think, builds a lot of trust. So we left our example on sequence of returns after year one, and we have a lot more years to run. So we were talking about the amount of return you get while in retirement, and these two people in our example were going to get the exact same rate of return over time, the exact same average return, but they were going to get annual returns that were flipped. Good returns for one were at the front end of retirement. Good returns for the other were at the end of a five-year sequence. So let's go through maybe the middle and when they get to age 70 and what they end up with to further illustrate the importance of understanding sequence of returns. Yeah, so the example that comes to mind is actually from a piece that's put out by a, a financial institution, the largest one. We won't give them any press. They don't need it. But they're the largest money manager in the world. And they put out a piece on this. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen it enough times to kind of have it memorized. The, the returns that they used was 22, 15, 12, negative 4, negative 7. So those same rates of return, 22%, 15%, 12%, negative 4, negative 7. In each year. In each year. And then they just repeat. So over a 25-year period, you'd have five times that this thing just goes over. And then obviously the second client was negative 7, negative 4, 12, 15, 22. If you take a million dollars and you say, you know what, I'd like to live on 6%, which is 60000 bucks a year, I'll just leave it at 60, adjusted for inflation at 3%, and I'll run those returns through. If I didn't take any money out, we ended up in the same, same place. We covered that already. If I do start taking money out, client number one that starts with a million dollars still has well over a million dollars 25 years later. Client number two went broke about 22, 23 years in. 
So I would say the scenarios are drastically different with just the subtle variance of sequence of return. And is that because client number one got that big boost at the beginning with the 22% return and client number two got hit right out of the gate with the negative four and the negative seven? Is there any way to make up for that if you get that unfortunate initial result? Yeah, I think what this really illustrates is, well, one, while we'd always all like to be client number one and still have a million dollars left, that it would be a much better approach not knowing what order. Nobody knows what order it's no. going to be. We don't know if it's going to be 12, 22 or negative seven this year. Um, we can pontificate on it and hypothesize, but nobody really knows or we wouldn't even be having this conversation. What it shows is that you better have a way to blend the two in a former fashion that alleviates the problem. And the way that you do that is you're probably not going to end up with an assured more than a million dollars 25 years from now. But you can also guarantee that you're not going to run out of money 25 mm -hmm. years from now. So you end up landing in the middle and you say, well, I'm going to have some safe money that I'm going to live off of. So the client, let's say the, the middle of the road client in the middle, uh, they had a negative seven right out of the gate, let's say just like client number two. But they didn't pull the money from the negative seven spot. They left it alone. They had a pot of money that was maybe earning a guaranteed three or four percent. And they lived off that until the market turned around and they rebounded out. And if you show that example... You end up with a client that probably has something like a, a half a million dollars left 25 years from now, but they had a more predictable, less uh, heart palpitation life along the way. Yeah, that sounds good to me for sure. Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Bruce Hooley, Josh Pick with you. Free consultation awaits you at Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040. Their web address is aptus, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. How willing are people, once they enter retirement, to vary their withdrawals. If I suffered a 20% hit, or I guess it was a 7% negative hit in year one, and my nest egg went from a million down to 800,000, I mean, I'd start eating ramen noodles every uh, meal, but not everybody's willing to do that. I suppose there are people who arrive at retirement with certain expectations, and maybe they think, okay, um, I've made it to this point in the race, and I should be able now to relax and enjoy and wait a second. What do you mean? We had uh, negative results in year one and my nest egg shrank to a alarming level. And now I can't take out my 6% or my 5% or my 4%. How willing are people to accommodate that in retirement from the people that you deal with, talk to, and maybe should people be much more open to that than they might be thinking about as they look toward retirement? Depending upon how you set up your retirement, you might not have a choice. But if you did the proper planning, you shouldn't have to make that decision. Um, let me give you an example. If uh, you're a student of this, Bruce, we've talked about it a lot. If I said that you had a 10 or 15-year time window, would you, where we were just going to leave money alone in the market, mm -hmm. would you be that concerned that you would have less than what you started with 10 or 15 years from now? At the end? At the end. Oh, at the end, I would be very concerned that I end up with more. You'd end up with more, yeah, because we know that risk is yeah, relative. But to I'd, time. I'd, I would be aware that I'd have fluctuations during that time. But at the end, I'm going to be in really good shape. So, if we were able to set up or establish a plan of some kind, where you knew that your income for the next ten or fifteen years came from a source that did not have any market volatility attached to it, and then segmented out a pot of money that did have market volatility, effectively what you would do is, let's say it was half and half. Over a period of 10 years, your your money should arguably double at least in the stock market if invested appropriately. 
So let's say you had $200,000 and you said, I'm going to live on uh, $10,000 a year every single year for the next 10 years off of 100000 of it. I'm going to invest the other two hundred. You would end up with two hundred at the end of the 10 years. Did the market volatility impact how you lived at all? No. Did you have to adjust your income at all over time because of market volatility? No, because you knew you had time on your side. That is a very simplistic view of how you can achieve that. The more realistic view is a little more complicated than that, but the concept is the same. That enables you to have predictable income over time. Interesting. Sequence of returns. We've covered it pretty in-depth in this uh, segment of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. But if you'd like to understand it more, there are many different nuances and twists to it, and Josh and his team would be more than happy to explain it to you at your free consultation, 614-917-1040, to set that up on the phone. Set it up online at aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Do you find that people come to you and think that they're fun purchases, for lack of a better term, new cars, new houses, things like that, are over with when they get to retirement? Uh, some, yeah, and some want to double down, right? <laughs> they're, they're, they're using uh, retirement as their opportunity to buy all the stuff that they wanted to buy while they were working. Um, and again, it's not my position to explain to them that they shouldn't be buying frivolous items. It's my position to explain to them whether they can afford to buy frivolous items. And whatever your retirement looks like, uh, this is a judgment-free zone, right? Yeah. You can do whatever you want. Um, you know, one that comes up a lot, particularly with people who are philanthropic towards their church, is I, I know now that I'm retired, I'm probably not going to be able to donate to the church at the same level that I was. Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, there are some benefits to actually being able to donate directly from your IRA to your church with some maybe even increased tax benefits that you were unaware of or maybe not receiving while you were working. So it can go either way. The trick is just having the education and the plan available to know what you can do. Man, we've talked about taxes before. We didn't get to it this week, but that's a big part of your retirement planning too. And rather than be you know deer in the headlights on all this stuff with all the different investment options that you have, like annuities and treasury bills and bonds and stocks and growth stocks and all these other things, and then you fold in taxes and all that. I know that can be very scary for you folks, but it doesn't need to be. That's why you have the option of getting with Josh and his team to understand these kinds of issues because knowledge is power, and when you're equipped with that knowledge and you understand it, you're in a much better position to deal with something that is certainly important for everyone in retirement. So Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040. On the web at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.